Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Hello, everyone. Hello, children. Today, I want to talk about a story that I think will be pretty cool for a lot of our young people. It's cool for me, too. But for a lot of our kids that are here with us today in the family service, and um, it's a story about, I would say, um, a kid who saved the entire kingdom. And this kid, he was, he, he was a young fellow, but God used him in a very profound way all the days of his life. But it, it didn't just start when he became a grown-up. It happened when he was little. And ever since the age of three years old, he was actually serving and connecting, uh, serving the Lord. And his name was Samuel. But just to give us a little bit of a context, there's scriptures in the New Testament side of the Bible that say that all these stories, the Old Testament stories, were actually written for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says that, that we can actually see in these stories truths and realities that are actually prophetically um, spoken and told and written, and they did happen, but there are these stories that benefit us as Christians in the, in the modern world, in the here and now. And this story is a lot like that. This, this young fellow named Samuel, the kid who saved the kingdom. And it's one of my, I, I say that about almost everything, but it really was one of my favorite stories. And so for the adults and anybody that's following along with the Bible with them today, it might be a little difficult because I'm going to skip through a lot of the... Um, a lot of different chapters on the story of this young fellow that saved the kingdom, this young guy named Samuel. But it's going to be 1 Samuel like 1, 2, 3, 4, and maybe even 5. Maybe 6, probably not. But um, don't worry, it won't be long. Uh, it's just that I'm going to cliff notes it all, you know. And the backdrop of the way this kid saved the kingdom. When I say the kingdom, I'm talking about Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, who was a very young nation um, in this time frame, um, and also they were surrounded by what we would call maybe bad guys, very territorial people that wanted the land that they had, um, they had officially moved into, and so it was a dangerous time, kind of like the Wild West, and, um, but the people of Israel, which are a sim symbolically representative of the church or Christians, they literally had a covenant with God where God actually protected them. He caused them to inherit the land. He caused them to actually grow and thrive in what, what was known as the promised land, um, this beautiful place they were called to live. And little by little, God was actually defeating their enemies through them. Um, and they were, they were expanding and growing more and more into this land. Um, but sometimes there was a hiccup involved. And in the book of Samuel, we have the, the story of this kid who saved the kingdom. But it kind of starts off, and I'll, and I'll maybe skip into 1 Samuel 2, about the priests, the people that were supposed to be the representatives of God over the nation of Israel, and how they had become really corrupt. And the problem with that was that the priests, the ones who served in the temple of God, which was really kind of like a tent, tabernacle tent, pretty big, you know, the tent was as tall as this building, I think it was 15 feet tall, um, um, but it was... It was not as big as the room we're in, not even probably half the size, the inside of the tent where the priests would come and minister before God. And, um, but then there was a wall, this, um, 
linen wall basically all around the tent that was literally bigger than the building that we're in. And I think our building's like 9,000 square foot. It was like 11,000 square foot. So it was really big. And this temple was this pretty impressive place, this pretty impressive tent. We think of a tent like a, a tent that you camp in as a kid, but it was a pretty impressive deal. But they served God and they did all kinds of ritualistic sacrifices and incense lighting and candle lighting and cleansings and all these different things there. Um, but these priests who were supposed to actually be serving the people, serving the Lord and serving the people and ministering the people, instead of doing their job, they were actually just using the people to prop themselves up. They were actually squatting, you know what I mean? So adults read between the lines of what that looks like today. But they were just literally growing fat and wealthy on, on all the goods that the people would bring. And they saw themselves as above the people instead of serving the people. And so in doing this, the nation, the country, because the leadership was so out of alignment, the nation was actually drifting out of alignment with God. And when they were in alignment with God and walking with God, you know, they were led of the Lord, led by His voice, and they were having victory. So as they would go into battle and stuff, they would win, they would expand, they would thrive. But because of the priests, this fellow named Eli and his sons, his sons were so crooked and doing such naughty things, and they were inviting even other demonic gods into the kingdom by some of the acts that they were doing with some of the women and, and, all, and, and stealing the sacrifices, and they were making people abhor the sacrifices of the Lord. Um, they were actually setting the nation up for failure. So danger was coming, and the bad guys were coming, and the nation was going to be basically out of alignment and was going to take some hits, you know. But God actually had a plan, right? And his plan um, started with this woman named Hannah who could not have kids. She was trying to have babies her whole life um, with her husband and just it couldn't happen. And even one of her, you know, another girl that she knew really well was mocking her and making fun of her about she couldn't have kids. And it was just a really shameful thing, especially in those days. But finally, she actually comes to the temple as they would come every year. And she sits outside of the temple and she starts praying, God, would you please give me a son? Would you please give me a kid? I haven't had a child. I want one so badly. And she was literally sitting outside of the, of the temple praying this. And her, just her lips were moving. So she wasn't, this is 1 Samuel 1. Her lips were moving, so she was praying, which also tells you guys, um, you don't have to make sound in order to pray and connect to God. You know, wherever you're at, in, at work, at school, anytime you want to connect to Him, you can connect to Him in your heart. Um, he's always with you. He's always there. And uh, sometimes, you know, religious kind of mindsets make us think, well, you know, you got to be, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, he's, he, his whole heart is to connect to us all. So she's praying. And of course, Eli, the priest, who's, who's, um, he's about as sharp as a bowling ball spiritually. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, he wasn't too sharp these days because he wasn't really connecting. And in his, in his, he comes outside of the temple and he thinks he's one of, she's probably one of the women who's... Um, basically um, connected in, an, in, in evil ways to other gods that his sons were mixing with right outside the temple and really doing naughty things. And he sees her and he's like, hey lady, go, go, go be intoxicated on your own time, not at the temple. And she's like, no, I'm actually praying for the Lord to open my womb. I, I am pleading with the Lord, hey, I would, I would, I would love a son. And if, and if you give me a son, I will, you know, I will, my son will serve you and I will, I will lend him to you for his life. And and then when Eli kind of snapped out of it and realized, oh, wow, this lady's praying and I'm being rude to her, the spirit of the Lord actually came upon him. 
And he says, go in peace. The God of Israel will grant your positions which you've asked them. He realized, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be doing my job here. This is somebody coming to connect to the Lord. You're going to have a son within a year. It's going to be good. And guess what? Hannah got pregnant. Isn't that awesome? So she has this little baby named Samuel. But she made this vow to the Lord. Like, if you will give me a son, I will, I will give him to you to serve you all of his life. And he'll be set apart. And, you know, there's this thing, this Nazarite vow that um, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament and, and some of the guys in the New, they would take this vow that they would be so set apart for God in their whole life. Their whole heart would be set apart for Him. And that, to us, we realize that's what Christianity is. You know what I mean? It's, it's like saying like, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, He's in charge of my life from here on out. For the rest of my life, I give my will, my desires, my gifts, all of them are for Him. And the beautiful thing that we know is how good and kind God is. That if you do that with God, it's not like He's just going to steer you into some weird life that you never wanted to live. He knows the very desires of your heart because He's the one that put them there. And He's going to make you live an adventurous, wonderful life that He has called for you. And it's just the most brilliant thing. But um, anyhow, she sets this little, little child apart to God. And she literally says, he'll never have, you know, he'll never drink alcohol, be intoxicated. He'll never have a haircut. How about that? If you never had to have a haircut your whole life. So Samuel's hair was all dreadlocked out. You know, he was real cool looking as a kid. Um, so, you know, he'll never have a haircut. And, and so three years later, after he had been done being weaned, you know, when he was old enough to kind of survive on his own, waddle around, you know what I mean? Three years old is pretty young. But she brought him back to the temple and Samuel from three years old, all the way up, served the Lord in the temple of God. In this m very mystical, almost magical place, don't get caught on the words, but it really was a special place that represented heaven on the earth. Inside the tent, there was literally angelic beings sewn into the walls to make it, you know, this artwork that was angels and palm trees. It was the picture of what heaven would be like on earth that had been shut out ever since the Garden of Eden. And so Samuel was one of the ones, even as a little, little kid that actually served there, could go inside of the, the linen walls, could even probably go into the first realm of the temple and where the incense and the, and the showbread was and the menorah was and all these things. And he didn't really know God, even as a little boy, because Eli never taught him, because Eli wasn't really connected to God, the priests. And Eli's sons, man, they definitely didn't know God because they were about as corrupt and bad as they could be. Um, but the story is, becomes so beautiful. One thing, because Hannah, after she had Samuel, she had a bunch more kids. So little Samuel had a bunch of little brothers and sisters. And it's cool that his mom would sew him up a little outfit with a little ephod, the 12 stones on it, you know, and, and, and he would wear this little outfit as a kid. This little dreadlock kid with a priest garment on every year looked like he was, you know, like just such a strange little person, you know. Um, but the Lord comes and the way he saves Israel from going out on this dark path of being destroyed by the enemy is he sends this little boy, saves everybody. And Samuel used to actually sleep there. He used to actually sleep at the temple. And when you, and you look at Samuel, um, 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord and for Eli, and the word of the Lord was very rare in those days. Now I should back up. The word of the Lord, there was almost no connection to God. And so what had, what had happened, one man, a man of God, they don't say who's, who he is or what his name was. He actually got a word from God and actually came and he talked to Eli the priest right before Samuel when he was a little kid, just starting to move into the temple. 
another man of God, they don't say who it is, comes and talks to Eli and says, hey, Eli, he says in effect in 1 Samuel 2, you and your sons have corrupted the kingdom and taken them on a very dark path in a dangerous place. You're putting them in a vulnerable spot. You're causing them to abhor the, the sacrifice that God, that, of the temple, which was a very prophetic picture of leaders you know, kicking at or, or treating lightly the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, only teaching portions of it, keeping people needing them and feeding off their money, propping themselves up. You can tell I don't like that kind of thing. But, um, you know, so that's, that's the condition. He tells Eli, you and your whole family, you're all going to be removed from your position, and I'm going to find a man who's after my heart, a faithful priest that will do my will. Now, Eli, I don't think he knew little dreadlock Samuel was going to be that guy. He's just a kid, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, as Samuel got older and he was ministering before the Lord and the word was, of the Lord was rare, this is about nine years after that man had given that word to Eli, um, he, was, he was ministering in the temple. And it says that what happened was Eli was laying down in his place and he was going to sleep and he couldn't see very good anyways because he was pretty old. And it says, before the lamp of God went out of the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark was, because they had to light it every night before they went to bed and every morning when they woke up. Um, Samuel, Samuel heard, hears a voice calling him in the temple. So little Samuel, now he's 12 years old. That's what Josephus says anyways. He's about 12 years old. The way I measure that, his hair was probably about down, down right around his belt. You know what I mean? And in my picture, we're watching this like a movie. His little dreadlocks are down pretty far down by, by then. And um, he's about 12 years old. And he hears, it says, the Lord calls to him and calls his name out, Samuel, inside the temple. So Samuel pops up because he's ready to do his job, even if it's the middle of the night. And he runs into Eli, the priest. And he says, hey, here I am. What is it? <laughs> and he's like, Eli's like, hey, I didn't call you. And he's thinking, I heard somebody call my name out. He's like, no, it wasn't me. It says, then the Lord called, because we know it was the Lord because we're reading this. Then the Lord called yet again, and it said, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, hey, I'm here. You called me. And he says, hey, I didn't, I didn't call you, son. Go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. This is the first time Samuel was getting introduced to God. He had just been working there, which is wild to think nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. So he goes and he talks to Eli again. He says, I'm here, Eli. So he's already waked his boss up three times. <laughs> and it's like, like, leave me alone, you know. Um, you ever wake your parents up in the middle of the night, guys? Yeah, okay. So he's waking up Eli. He's, he's woken up three times in a row. He said, here, you called me. And then finally Eli realized what was going on. And he says, go lay down. And if he calls you again, you should speak and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, your servant listens. And I think this is such a, a beautiful thing. You know, Samuel's name literally means one who hears or the Lord who hears. It's like that's his name, you know, because the Lord heard his mom's prayer. And so Samuel is a picture of us in New Covenant Christianity. That's one thing about us. We understand that Jesus paid for our sins. But we also understand that something that's very important that was prophesied by all the prophets in the Old Testament, by many of them, is that Christianity was going to be a place of a people who would be able to hear God's voice and talk with God back and forth. And I love it. I heard what happened in the, in the older kids' room last week. 
with all you guys training to hear God's voice and all the awesome stuff that happened and it blew my mind. It's just, it's incredible. I, I love it. Um, but also, this is a picture of us. The whole kingdom was going the wrong direction, but somebody stepped in that actually could hear God's voice and God was talking to him. And it was a kid. It wasn't some huge guy with huge muscles and a bunch of swords and bullets and you know, it was like it was a kid that the power, the greatest power in the world was somebody that could hear God's voice. And that goes for every single one of us grown and young. And um, it says, the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Now this is talking about the word of the Lord coming to Samuel, right? But we also see the word of the Lord came and stood and called to Samuel. And now we know in Christianity, the word of the Lord is a person, right? Jesus is the word of the Lord. He's the angel of the Lord. He was the word made flesh. All these scriptures we have in the new covenant are literally talking about he is in the Old Testament as well. He is the embodiment of Yahweh. In other words, the physical God fully embodied is Jesus in the old and the new. Now we've got to know him a whole lot better from our scriptures, but these stories are about him. It says, so the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm going to do something in Israel. This was this was the first word that Samuel ever received from God. I'm going to do something in Israel, then everybody's ears are going to tingle when they hear it. In other words, like, ooh, that's wild. It's incredible. It's inspiring. It's wonderful. In that day, I'm going to perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. For I have told him that I will judge his house. And so this is the first word Samuel ever gets. And I think it's really interesting because it's a confirming word of some man of God, most likely around nine years earlier, that had given that to the king. I mean, I'm sorry, given that to the priest. So remember, the man of God came and he said, somebody who heard God's voice, and they don't know who it was or say who it was, had come and say, God, talk to me in your house. You're squatting on something you're not supposed to. It even says, I fully desired for you guys to be in this role and to flourish and thrive, but you used it for selfish gain. And I'm going to remove you all and replace you with somebody who's after my heart. You know, I love that. I feel that. I feel that, man. But um, that's us. That's today. That's now. Anyhow, so that word had been in Samuel's mind. and I mean, in Eli's mind and heart, the old priest who was letting his sons do terrible things and basically inviting other gods onto the scene of Israel, causing all these bad things. It had been in his mind, but it hadn't come to pass. So he was just biding his time, living comfortably. And Samuel's first word, can you imagine that as a little 12-year-old? What's your first word? It's going to be like, the Lord's going to bless you forever. Like, that'd be awesome. You got to just come to him and say, hey, by the way, you've received a word of the Lord that he's going to remove you and your whole family out of the way because you're steering Israel the wrong way, and it's about to happen. That's a nerve-wracking word to have to give somebody when you're, when you're a little kid, you know, you know. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Um, I guess that was part of his, his job. He woke up early. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. He's like, oh, little dreadlock Samuel's like, I don't know if I want to tell him that. He's going to get mad at me. Like, I'm doing something. I'm just the messenger, you know. Um, so finally, he's like, what is the Lord? Do not hide it. He knew the Lord had given him a word. And Samuel told him everything that the Lord had said. And when he said what, when he gave him the message, even Eli said it, this is from the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That means everything that Samuel ever heard in his entire life that he spoke, it always happened. That's, that's 
100% accuracy. That's incredible. None of us are there, and, and I don't, you know, but that's incredible. It says, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. This is a story of Samuel starting to know God, a little kid. It's really interesting because the very next chapter, in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, what it talks about is Israel with the plan to be fruitful and multiply and grow and thrive in the promised land. They continue their conquest. There was Philistines out there. This is before even Goliath and, and some of his other siblings got brought under the picture. This is just the, the Philistine armies. The, the Israelites went out to start doing battle to stretch themselves out over the land because God had given it to them, so they thought. But they went out to battle and they, they got defeated. And a lot of them got taken out. And the Israelites, which is, which is wonderful in 1 Samuel 4, 3, it says, why has the Lord defeated us today? Because we know the Lord didn't defeat you today. The, 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 uh, the um, Philistines defeated you. And, um, but it's, I, I love the responsibility that they took upon themselves. If we lost, it has something to do with our relationship to God because he's given, them, he's given us these victories. Like, why are we not working? Why is it not thriving? And they came back with the idea, like, let's go to the temple and take the Ark of the Covenant that's in the very back room of the temple that only the high priest could go in once per year and be before. And if you guys have ever seen a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, it was in the very back of the temple, and it was this large box, wooden box, that was, that was overlaid completely gold-plated. And on top of the box, it had two angels. It was very artistic and beautiful, and they faced one another. Um, and their wings kind of came up like this, you know? And so um, every year, the, when the presence of God would come down before the high priest, and as it would come on and, um, you know, ha had already been happening for several years, um, the presence of God, they called that box, they called it the mercy seat, as if God would come and sit on it and make atonement for his people and cover them and lead them. And, and so this powerful box was just a symbol, is a symbol for us now, but it was to them, it was the very place where the, the presence of the Lord was. And so they said, hey, if we're going to go to the battle, bring the box out. Because that that's that symbolic reality that God is actually with us. And if we bring it, his presence will be with us and we'll win. But what they didn't know, it wasn't that God wasn't with them. It's that they weren't with God because they had gone astray. People aboard the sacrifice. People, did, you know, people weren't living it because they had been set up for failure from the top down. So they went and got the Ark of the Covenant and then they went into battle because they were getting beat on and they got beat even worse, which had never happened. Because when the Ark of the Covenant, when they had that, they walked and stepped into the water of the Red Sea, the waters went all the way back, you know, went sideways and stood up like a wall. They walked across on dry ground. When they came across the, Josh, the um, Jordan River in the book of Joshua, the waters went all the way back to a city called Adam. It erased everything all the way to Adam, which is our Christian reality. And so they walked across on dry ground. But now they're like, yo, we even got the box out here, the presence of God, and we're still not winning. What's worse than that is, is two of the priests that actually brought the box, brought the Ark of the Covenant with them, they got taken out. It was Eli's sons, but they were the crooked priests that were leading the nation in a very bad way that were taking all them, you know, making themselves wealthy, wealthy and comfortable and, and inviting the demonic into the, into the nation and all this stuff, both of them got taken out, just as the word of the Lord had actually said from the man of God two chapters before. Not only that, the Philistines had five cities in that region that kind of surrounded it. They actually stole the ark. 
So they captured it. We didn't think anybody could even touch the, the ark. They grabbed it up by its poles and took it for themselves. And this was just mind-blowing. They're like, oh my gosh, God's left us, which he hadn't left them. They were the ones out of alignment. So the priesthood dies, passes away, the, son, the evil sons of Eli. Eli hears about it and he falls off his chair and passes away. So he's gone. And the Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the nation feels hopeless. And if you're, if you're Samuel, who's released this word that this would happen, you've got to be like, you know what I mean? <laughs> feeling a little nervous right now, you know what I mean? Like, where's all the priests? And it's just like, this kid's the only one left, standing in the, you know. But he started to know God. And the story gets so funny from here, to be honest. Because in the next, the next chapter, um, it talks about the Ark of the Covenant, that the, the bad guys, the Philistines, had stolen the Ark, the, the quote-unquote what was supposed to be the presence of God, and taken it into their city. And just like the countries would do when they would actually, when they would steal um, the spoils of war, they would come, kind of come bring the gold or presence in, before their gods into their temple where their god was. And their, their god was named Dagon. It's actually named Dogon, which I think is just hilarious, right? You know? And um, so Dogon is how you say it. And so Dogon uh, was, their, was their god. And um, you know what's something that's really funny? When I drove here today, I think it just makes me laugh and I entertain myself pretty easily. So I, I, had, um, I, had, I had on my Bluetooth, I had listened to the name of Dagon in Hebrew. Like, you know, anybody, ever, you have the Strong's Hebrew things, you can listen how things are pronounced, and it was like, Dagon, Dagon, you know? And I get in my car and I was listening to music just on the drive here today, and I didn't realize, and then I switched it over to Bluetooth like halfway here, and it Bluetoothed that exact thing. I guess it was on my phone still, and, and so I, I Bluetoothed to put it on just to play music, and it goes, Strong's H, number da 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 da. Doggone, doggone. Said it twice, you know how it does? I thought, oh gosh, I was laughing on the way here, like, yeah, yeah, let's have fun, you know? And it's like, that's ridiculous, but anyhow, so doggone. So they put it in the temple, and then you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but I, I, you could probably get away with saying doggone as much as you want, you know? Okay. Um, so they take it and they put it in the house of doggone, you know? And so, but what happens when they put the Ark of the Covenant in the same temple is the, is the idol of Dagon falls down on its face. And it was an idol. And the way that they would worship, the pagans would worship, is they would have a, an Elohim or a God or a son of God, you know, some type of demonic entity over their people group. And in this, in this situation, it was Dagon. But he would come and embody an idol at times when they would do their worship. And so, you know, it, it was whatever. It was, it was very similar to the Ark of the Covenant, how the, the presence of God would come over it. But theirs, they believed that their gods would come upon their idols, and, and, and the ark was not an idol. It was just it was something different. It was symbolic. But Dagon falls face down. So they're like, whoa, they come into the temple the next day in 1 Samuel 5. And like, that's a weird coincidence. So they lifted him back up, and then the next morning it happened again. Only this time his head popped off and his arms popped off. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he went, boom, they broke it. And they're like, okay, we need to get this box out of here. You know what I mean? This thing is powerful. And it was tumors and, and all these diseases and, and even rats started started coming all over their people and in the city that they were in and they were like get this thing out of here you know so they mailed it off to another philistine city and so they did this several times there's five philistine cities and if you read first samuel 5 they'd move it to somebody else they'd move it over to gath and then boom you know um 
the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And so, boom, the same thing would happen. There'd be tumor, there'd be rats all over the land and the properties, and people would just be freaking out. So then, you know, verse 9 is like, they'd be carried away into another city, and there'd be great destruction on that city. And so finally, the Philistines were like, give it to us. No, give it to them. No, give it to them. Get it away. As they're playing hot potato with the, the Ark of the Covenant, because it's literally going around doing, doing war against all the enemies. You know what I mean? So even where the, the military could not actually defeat these guys that were attacking them or being defeated, once the, once the, um, the leadership that was squatting and leading the people in the wrong way was removed, the very ark of God was coming and it's by itself was somehow doing war against all these people groups. And it's so funny. They gather all the Philistine lords and, and, and they literally... It says it was in the cities or the countries of the Philistines for seven months in 1 Samuel 6. And the Philistines, they called for all their priests and diviners, you know, people who practiced the divination and talked to their gods. And they're like, what do we do with this ark? And they said, you need to send it with a trespass offering and give it back to the Israelites. So they loaded it up, a cart full of gold. And they made a bunch of gold lumps and tumors because people were struck by all that stuff and and they made a bunch of gold rats, which is so weird to me, like little golden rats, you know what I mean? Of like, uh, kind of like, that's when you tap out, you know what I mean? You're like, all right, say uncle, anybody, nothing. And it's just like, yeah, like, okay, this is, you whipped us. This is, this is a, you, you, we're, we're sending this back with a whole lot of money on an ark. And, um, and so they, they made these tumors, but they, they actually, they took a new cart, a brand new one, they made a wooden trailer, basically, and they took two milk cows, which had never been yoked. In other words, cows that don't know how to pull a trailer. They've never been trained. They're actually milk cows. They just stand there. Um, and, and, but the diviners said, hey, like, this is God. And you, this is how we know that it's going to be God. Like, he'll take it back himself. You know, kind of like Jesus riding a donkey. Like the most stubborn animal that you cannot ride that's never been ridden before. Right? It's very similar to that. Put it on a couple milk cows. And they, they, they harnessed up, yoked up these two milk cows, put it on a trailer, the ark, with a bunch of gold as a, as a payback. And, the heal, and God, God actually healed all the Philistines from that, which I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. It was kind of just like he took away all that sickness and stuff that had come upon them for attacking him and his people because they had partnered with something dark and they were getting what, what comes with that. So he's, he's uh, taking care of them. But they said, take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart. And watch, if it goes to its own territory, then it's God that's actually done this. They're like, we're pretty sure this is what's going on, but let's just see. Let's, let's have a little experiment. And sure enough, they yoked those, those cows that said they got on the road by themselves and that they had supernatural GPS. They started just walking off, going the right direction, going, you know, they knew the, they knew the way home, like a little honing pigeon or something. I don't know, man, but, but it, because it was God. You know what I mean? It was of the Lord. And it's beautiful because the cows head straight for the road to Beth Shemesh, which literally means house of the sun. How about that? Um, and the people of Beth Shemesh were there reaping harvest, and the, the, um, the cart literally comes into a field called the field of Joshua at the house of the sun. And we know Joshua is the name of the deliverer of Yeshua, of Jesus, you know. And um, they split the wood, and they offered the cows as an offering. They didn't realize that was going to happen to them. And, and um, you know... Um, there, yeah, da, 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 um. and um, the Philistines, uh, they, they, they came and kind of were kind of watching, and it, it says that they, 
They went even as far as the large stone of Abel, which is where they set the ark, which is brilliant too, Abel, the, the sacrifice that was accepted in Genesis. You know, uh, it's just all this prophetic symbolism of everything coming back into full and complete alignment that's aligned in the house of the sun, in the field of Yeshua, and in, on the stone of Abel. Um, it was a prophetic picture of these, this priesthood of the Lev, left uh, taking his people astray, right? Taking their people astray, caused them to abhor the offering of the Lord. And it's not an offering message. I think there, I, I, that could probably work, but it's more about a sacrifice message. They, they've called him, he, he literally told, the man of God told uh, Eli in 1 Samuel 2, he's like, why do you kick at the sacrifice of the Lord? And um, to us, we know what the sacrifice of the Lord is. It's the lamb. And it's every single thing that he's paid for us to walk in. And it's not only that he breathes his last breath and our sins are completely removed as far as the east from the west. Matthew 27, 51 says that the curtain of that temple was torn from top to bottom when he breathed his last breath. Amen. And heaven was actually opened back to the earth. And the place where only the high priest could go and have this communion, communication to God, was completely released to all mankind. Yeah. You know? And we know that that is the sacrifice. It is stepping into that relational connectivity and, and wholeness and payment that Jesus has actually supplied. That, that, as far as even ministers, which we all are, our responsibility is to embody this and to freely give what we freely received. And the priesthood had corrupted that way, you know? And so now this thing comes all the way back and it sits there at the house of the sun. Chapter 7, I, you know, I guess we're going there. He, he literally, Samuel comes and he calls the people to God again, and they vow themselves again to be fully aligned with God. It was really great, really cool. And, um, you know, it's the story, if you will, of all this happened because of a kid who never knew God before, but after God basically knocked on his door three times in the middle of the night trying to talk to him, got up and listened, and he could hear. The one who hears, Samuel. It's like the voice of the Lord creates everything in this world. It opens every door. The Lord's our shepherd. Like the bread, Father, give us this day our daily bread. It is literally talking about the communion of heaven. It is talking about relationship to God that opens everything. And one kid, when the, in the time when the word of the Lord was rare, one special guy who was, quote, air quotes, set apart to God who could hear his voice could change everything. And it's the same for all of us and all of our kids. And they're growing to hear the Lord's voice. And we're telling ours, like, hey, man, if, if you guys pray and if you hear something from the Lord for us, share it. Practice it. I've heard so many stuff that's even been happening this week with the kids. It's just blowing my mind. Um, but the reality is it didn't take somebody super mature and a professional. It took somebody that actually just learned how to listen and hear and say what God would say, you know. And now we know that God's word is let there be life. And it is hope and it's for our future and it unlocks doors. And um, Samuel, he was very special. He was set apart to the Lord. He was what, he was what the Bible calls a prophet, right? Um, which were the people. They were the ones that could hear from God. Um, there was other prophets that would literally come after Samuel, Right? And the other prophets, so many of them, that's what a lot of the Bibles and the Bible names, you know, you got Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all these guys. 
they're all prophets in our Old Testament, guys. And so they would all come and they would prophesy about this new covenant that we would have, which was called Christianity, that we would all walk in. And, and part of the new covenant, a great part of it is, is that people like Samuel, like the prophets, would be able to hear God's voice, would be able to talk to God, but also hear his voice. And it's just so brilliant. And when you look at, like, Joel, Joel 2, you know, it says, it shall come to pass afterwards about the new covenant that, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Not just the spirit of the Lord, or the word of the Lord would have to come to you, but you would actually have God within you and you'd be able to talk to him as much as you want and hear from him as much as you want. I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, even the kids, will be able to prophesy, will be able to say the things God says. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's uh, even on your men servants and maid servants, guys, girls, it doesn't matter who you are. It's like the new covenant is like people will actually hear God's voice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just the, the end of the book of Isaiah, same way. Um, it literally talks about the prophecy. Another one of the prophets like Samuel, but the way he's saying it is um, this is the covenant that I will make with you. Let me see where it is. It's on Isaiah 59. And he talks about the covenant as what? This is my covenant and thy spirit which is upon you. My words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants from this time and forever. In other words, I will redeem you, I will cleanse you, but you will have communication with me until there is like forever. You know what I mean? It will never go away. And all these prophets, they saw what Samuel did in this awesome stuff and they're like, hey, there's going to be a new covenant, which we know is Christianity. But it won't be one kid who does this and saves the kingdom. It'll be everybody. It'll be everybody who chooses to listen will have this power to save the kingdom, to save the world. And the power is that they will have God's voice and they can come into agreement with it and release it. It's just a really beautiful thing. Ezekiel 36, 26 is one of my favorite ones. It's like, I will sprinkle upon you. I'll give you this new heart. I'll put my words in your mouth. I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. It's like all these prophets that came after Samuel would talk about, hey, there's going to be a new covenant, man. When it's not just like little dreadlock Sam, you know, hearing the word of the Lord. It's like everybody will be able to do that. Amen. And this is what God called his church. So we go, well, we're going to church. Like, well, this is a church. We have a big church building and people that come here. But God's church is a people who agree on what God says about things and they listen to his voice and they speak the things that he says. And even the things that he's paid for concerning health and wholeness and healing and, and, and success in life, they have the ability to hear his voice and hear what he says about those things and proclaim those things. And they're sowing them like farmers sow seeds. And when you sow a seed, it says, sometimes you, you sow a seed and you don't see anything at first. You go to sleep day and night and it grows behind the scenes. But this is the way that God is raising his people. And it's cool that the kids are learning this because the adults are learning the same thing. We're all learning this. We're all growing in this. Choosing to come into every bit of agreement with the sacrifice, holding it at his highest standard of what really Jesus paid for, coming into agreement with that and speaking it and releasing it into this atmosphere, into this plastic world until that world overtakes this one all around us. That's how it works. Amen. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Somebody heard the Father's voice, right? Matthew 16, Peter. 
And he said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this. You heard this from your father. Like Samuel heard God, you just heard God. And on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And we know there's gateways of hell because it releases all kinds of dark things in the world. But I promise you, they, they will not be able to maintain the land they're squatting on. Everyone will see. Everyone will see. But it's, but it's us for here and now. We can be on the sidelines watching this happen and be like Israel when David killed the giant and then get in on it. Or we can come into agreement with it constantly now. The stage is really set. And Jesus sees us, even, even the, the youngest of us, as a great and incredible army. He really does. And I'll close with this. How about a, um, I was reading Matthew 5 this week. And it's this, people call it the Beatitudes, this, this, um, this little speech that Jesus was giving. But it was kind of in the early parts of his ministry. And, you know, y'all, he was almost 10 years younger than me at this point of his life, you know what I mean? So it's like, we're thinking like, you know, we picture like Ben-Hur or Moses up there, but you know, Jesus is like, giving the Beatitudes, giving these little speeches, kind of like what we're doing today. I was sitting right here with a group of people in front of him, but it was on a mountainside, like a hillside mountainside. And he said this, and this really hit me this week, and I'll close with it in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. He looked at the people that had actually come to listen to him. And if you can look at their mindset, they're like, wow, this guy's something special. Could he be the son of God? Could he be the son of David prophesied to, to bring the kingdom back or to meet all of our needs because we're oppressed? But instead of seeing them as just people that, that, that like he had to rescue, which he was, he saw them as this brilliant army that was before him. And I thought, I, it hit me just in a, in a way this week. He looks at me and he says, he looks at these people on the side of the mountain that he's talking to and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. See, we know what salt is. Salt brings out the flavor of all the food we eat. You shouldn't eat too much of it. You know what I mean? But it enhances everything. And he's like, you people enhance everything. He didn't look like you're a bunch of losers who need me. You know what I mean? He didn't think that. He's like, this is a father's heart seeing his family and, and saying, you have no idea how incredible you are. You are the very salt of this planet. And it just hit me. Like you preserve this world. You, you were called to enhance this entire world. It wasn't like, let me tell you how, how to meet all your problems because you're all a bunch of bums. You know what I mean? It was like, you are the salt of this place. And we know even in the, in the Bible days, they used to take salt. It would preserve food. They didn't all have a, a frigidaire, you know, a little freezer in the, in the garage or whatever, you know what I mean? So they would hunt or they would get their food, their fish, and they would cover it with salt. And even though it wasn't refrigerated, it would, it would keep it from going bad for a long time. And the way they would test if the food had went bad is they would take some of the salt and touch it to their tongue and if it tasted like the fish, it would stop doing its job. But if it was still salty, it was per the fish was still good. They didn't have little stickers that said, used by, <laughs> used by August 31. I'm like, Nicole, that was three days ago. Like, we can still use it, I'm telling you. No. I got stomachache the next day. No. <laughs> I have a story about milk about that. But anyway, leave that alone. 
Oh, come on, man. Look. But uh, you know what I mean? It's just like you guys preserve this place. You know, you are, you are the enhancers of this place. You are powerful. And that's how we are. That's how we're called to see each other. It's like you have the ability to bind what is bound in heaven on the earth. That means to tie up and arrest. If it's not allowed there, it's not allowed here. You have the ability to loose or release if it's found there. I mean, it's health, it's wholeness, it's love, it's life, it's joy, it's peace. It's abundance. You have the ability to release that here. There's a partnership we're called to enter into. And he saw this. You're the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. Here he is on a mountainside, on a hillside, and he's looking at them, and he's like, wow, you're incredible. You are the light of this world. That's Jesus talking into us. <laughs> no, you don't understand. You need to come help me and, and bail me out of all my problems. It's just like, hey, remember Samuel? It's like, come into the agreement with the things that I say and speak those things. Put your money where your mouth is. You know? It might require sowing into it. It might require giving yeah. into it. It might require yeah. acts of faith to where we say, no, this is how much I believe this. I'm standing here. Yeah. It might require stepping out and looking foolish to actually go after somebody and, 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 and release the word of the Lord to them, an encouragement, a blessing, a, a prayer for healing, whatever it could be. It might require any of those things. But he's like, you guys are something else. And, I, and we think of God coming down and like, so, Father, these are the ones, these idiots, I'm supposed to use them. You know what I mean? We have this mentality, which is just religious, but he's looking at that people thing like, you're the salt. It's like, man, of all the people that could have been here, I get, I, get the, I get the cream of the crop, the Navy SEALs of the military, the Green Berets. I get the very best. And Jesus saw them like that. Yeah. You are the light of the world, the city that's on a hill. There they are sitting on a hill. And it's like, hey, there's light in you that is recognized in the spirit realm, and they're afraid of you. And they will try to make you not realize it, but, but it's because they're afraid. Yeah. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against you. Yeah. And she's like, huh? Like, no, we need our needs met. It's like, no, they've been met. You have to come into agreement with that. But they're squatting on something that's not theirs and it's a violation. And, and, and I promise you, even if it looks like they're there to stay, they won't be able to stay. Even when they act like they're not budging and it's not affecting them, they won't be able to stay. You keep sowing the seed. You keep, don't believe what they say. Only believe. Do not ever be led of faith. Only believe. And that was his word. And if I'm doing that, if I'm, if, if I'm the Tarantino, Danny, Danny Tarantino and I'm doing that movie right there, that's the end of it. Is that art coming back? People, people coming back to the Lord? And little dreadlock Samuel doing his job the next morning, open the door in the front of the temple, walking out there about, <laughs> about 18 years old. And everybody's looking at him like, Eesh. You know what I mean? Because people thought he was a boogeyman for a while, to be honest, a little bit later. But that's another story. He's incredible. The one who hears. Kids, you did incredible today. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your word is truth above all things, and we choose to stand with it. I thank you for opening our ears. As, as we, we even call out like Samuel called out, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We are attentively listening and wholeheartedly wanting to hear your voice in every scenario and situation. 
I thank you for your heart. I thank you for your heart manifested through the entire Bible. I ask that we would be a people that come into agreement in such a level with your reality that your reality invades this earth. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your name be hallowed and separate from all the things that it's been attributed to. Eli and his sons painted a picture of you that wasn't you. Lord, I ask that your name would be hallowed and separate from that reality and come into the truth of the goodness and who you truly are, that we would be the ones that raise that banner, Lord.